Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavrita Yardena Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Sota, daf tet vav, page 15. Um, I want to focus here on Amad Aleph. We have a citation from the Mishnah that just says, Kol Hamanachot, right? All the meal offerings. And the point here is, Kol Hamanachot to unot shemenul vona, right? The Gemara asked that question on the Mishnah's statement that all meal offerings require oil and livona, frankincense. And the Gemara says, but do they? Do they really require oil and frankincense? We know that there's a meal offering of the sinner. Where explicitly in Sefer Vayikra, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 5, where the procedures, the processing of the Korbanot are like are detailed, you know, to the extent that they are detailed in the Torah without oral law included, it's very clear. He should not put any oil on it. He should not put any levona on it. It is a sin offering, meaning it shouldn't have these, I don't know what, like flavorful accoutrements for the sin offering. So the Gemara answers, solet. <laughs> First, the Gemara says, here's what the Mishnah is saying. When it says all of the meal offerings, besides that of the Korban Sota, the Menchak Na'ot of the Sota, they all require oil and frankincense, and they're all brought from wheat, and they're all brought from fine flour, but that Menchak Choteh, the meal offering of the sinner, sinner even though it doesn't have oil or levona frankincense, it still is brought from wheat and from fine flour. Meaning, don't think that they all require oil and frankincense applies across the board. However, the wheat and fine flour factor does across does apply across the board. And then, conversely, or that maybe that's not the right term here, but right, we also have a korban omer, which comes, it's a meal offering, and it comes from barley. But you know what? It does require oil and frankincense, and it's brought uba geres. It comes as groats. But this one, this one, meaning the sota korban meal offering, vzo enatuna lo shem and velolivona, uva minasorin, uva kemach. So in contrast to every other karban, right, the sota offering doesn't have oil. It doesn't have frankincense. It's brought from barley and not wheat. It's brought as unsifted flour instead of fine flour. And so all of the other ones, meaning including the regular menachot, but also the meal offering of the sinner and the karban omer, all of them are similar to the other meal offerings, the regular ones, in some way. Whereas the korban sota minchaknaot, the meal offering, is different in every which way. So, therefore, right, as much as the Mishnah makes the statement that all other meal offerings require oil and frankincense, that's kind of like a blurry way of talking, says the Gemara. However, all of the other korbanot mincha do have something in common with the basic korban mincha, and the sota offering is just fundamentally different. Um, Okay, I, the the Gemara goes on here, you know, to be more specific about the different sin offerings because because depending who's on who's bringing that sin offering, there's a, certain extra details, right? If it's 
the Mitzorah, the, the person who had this, as we keep saying, poor definition of leprosy, right? Um, or the the Korban, um, the Chatat of the Nazir, right? That comes with libations, right? Like there's, each one has its own special identity, but the real special identity of the Korban Sota, the meal offering of the Sota, is that it is fundamentally different from the other ones in all ways, not just in some ways. Yeah, and I was, you know, just the little side note that they said about the leopard, about the Mitzorah one, that actually the getting the Mitzorah itself is what is your atonement. And that's why you're sort of not a, a sinner. You're, you're, you're not considered a hotel when you bring it. So that's why you would bring the libations, um, I found to be interesting. And we also once again saw our discussion about whether or not a Nazir is actually a hotel or not. And again, it seems to be leaning towards that it is one because there are no libations with that one. Right, right. But each one gets its own deep dive, right? right? And it's no longer just the comparison of all the, of quote, all the menachot. Right. But it's clear, as you said, that the sota is sort of its own special category. All right. I'm going to move on now to the Mishnah, which is on Amud Bet, which is going to continue the process of what happens. Haya may be pali shel cheres, benotein letocha chati luk mayamin hakior. So the Kohen would bring an earthenware uh, drinking vessel, the Peyali, pe and he would pour into it half a log of water from the uh, from the Kior, right? Rabbi Yehuda Omer Revi'id. Rabbi Yehuda says it's just a Revi'id. Now remember, uh, you know, this is going to be where they're going to put the erasing droppings in of the Shem Hashem. Kishem kach So Rabbi Yehuda's point is, is that just as we want to minimize the writing, right? And we'll learn more about this later, that what they write it on the scroll, the Shem Hashem is supposed to be small. We also minimize the amount of water uh, that the erasing is going to be put in. So the Kohen would go into the sanctuary and turn to the right. And there was a place there that was a cubit by cubit, the tabla shel shayish, and there was a marble tablet there. The tabat magbia, and a ring was fastened to the tablet to help the priest lift it up. I mean, think about it. This is not, uh, I, I don't know, what do we say? An amaz about three and a half feet. So this is a three and a half foot by three and a half foot slab of, uh, no, am I saying that right? Is an amaz that big? I think an amaz is quite a bit less because it's, less. it's amaz. a foot and a half. Sorry, it's a foot and a half. Thank you. But still, it's a foot and a half by foot and a half slab of marbles. Wasn't lightweight, let's just say. Right. Okay. Wasn't lightweight. So it had a ring on it that I guess he would use to help raise it up as well. The Notella Farmi Tachtaha. And he would take some loose dust that was underneath it as well. The Notain Kadeshira Al Hamayim. And he would put it on the water. And the reason for that is using a pasuk from uh, Sota in Bamidbar, chapter 5, verse 17. Right, the priest would take this holy water in an earthen well in this vessel, and of the dust that is on the floor of the uh, of the uh, of the mishkan, right, but that later becomes the mikdash. The priest shall take it and put it into the water, meaning that there needed to be some actual dust from the floor as well, which is very very uh, interesting there. So the Gemara is just going to get into a discussion from here, you know, about some of these details. It begins with the question of Tana Palayi Shalcheres Padasha, right? Does it have to be a new Kli um, or can it be an old Kli? And they compared this to 
um, the uh, they compare this to the Mitsora, um, and maybe that you know that's where you could um, that you could learn it from. But Rabba comes up with a very interesting question, uh, which is this: By Rabba, so let's say you have this the the vessel, like you say, it needs to be a new one, and it gets blackened, meaning it looks old. And then you basically put it back in the furnace so it looks white again. Now, again, I don't know as much about pottery, but in other words, somehow this makes it look new again. What's the halacha? In other words, do we say once it's disqualified, it's disqualified and you can never use it? Like once it looks old, it's old. Or do we say once you've restored it, right? Once it again looks new, you could use it again. Toshma, Rabbi Eliezer Omer. So Rabbi Eliezer says, and they bring a different example here. So we're talking about the Mitsoa who part of what he needed to do had to bring cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet wood for part of his uh, purification process. And he carries it in the bat in the basket. And it also, it needs to look new, right? Um, the, uh, and he carries it on his back so it doesn't look new anymore. Psulin, he's not allowed to use it. But, you know, but okay, but those items were tied up and they could be smoothed out again, right, as if they hadn't been used. So, um, you know, so maybe, you know, you know, so there, after they've been used up, maybe you could use them again. So they say, no, the reason why those things are permanently never allowed to be used because they get peeled. Now, again, I don't understand exactly how that is while you tie them. And nothing, in other words, you'll always be able to tell that they were tied up. They'll never get back exactly to their original parents. And so therefore you can't really use that as proof. That's why they're always considered to be puzzle. Now, what's interesting about this is the Gemara leads the discussion here. There's actually no answer to our question. So from a meta point of view, I just want to point out that, you know, we don't see it always, but sometimes we do see that the Gemara brings a discussion that it actually doesn't give an answer to. And this is one of these uh, examples here. Yeah, it's, I, I don't know what to make of that in, the, in this case. I'm, perhaps it will still come, or you think it's really just not going to, they're not going to address it? I think it doesn't get picked up again. I mean, look, Rav is writing this in Bavel, asking this question in Bavel hundreds of years after the Beit HaMikdash. It's not right. a practical question. And so, you know, if I were to write my PhD, <laughs> you know, one thing that might be interesting to do is when the Gemara does have these types of scenarios where they sort of raise a question that they don't answer, are they always things that are, are not practically applicable at the time with which, you know, at the time of the Gemara itself? In other words, it's not a question that they have to resolve. That's also, uh, I think, a really important point, right? For all that we hear them talking about these things as if they are burning questions, it wasn't, they didn't actually have to make a decision for practice. Well, that's our discussion on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend e. Michelle Barber for hosting us on the Hydra website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Time with Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 